In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. Hi, this is Cammie. Jeremy Savlov is our Money Tales guest this week. Jeremy is a young, goals-driven professional. An important objective of his is to buy a home. To achieve this desire sooner, Jeremy decided to live with his parents to save money on expensive rent. By living in the suburbs, he's intentionally sacrificing some of his social life, and rather than splurge in his 20s, he's focused on saving money for his very own home. As Jeremy shares, it's very hard to think ahead and do something for your future self when your current self is a little bored or frustrated. Today, Jeremy is an engineering consultant for FM Global, a worldwide property insurance carrier. He also volunteers for his hometown fire department. Jeremy believes the values he has prioritized will help him to continuously grow professionally and personally. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics you'll hear in this conversation. First, how it feels when people treat you differently when they know more about your personal financial situation. Second, money decisions involve trade-offs. Being aware of and evaluating those trade-offs can improve the decision-making process. And third, who pays on the first date is a timeless dilemma. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Jeremy Savlov. Hey, Money Tales listeners, we are super excited, as always, to have another money conversation today. Sandy, as you know, but our listeners don't, we had a nanny up until last year, and now her daughters are helping us out from time to time throughout the week because we need that help. My former nanny's daughters are in their early 20s, so they're Gen Z. And I thought to ask them, do they have money conversations with their friends. What did they say? They said, no, absolutely not. And of course, I had asked, well, why is that? And really, it was about the feeling that it would be boastful. Isn't that interesting? So why is it that talking about money is boastful? Do you have any opinion on that? I think there could be different cultural ideas around that, depending upon where you grow up, and also modeling by parents, family members, other adults. You look like you have an idea, Cammie. Share what's on your mind. It was an epiphany in that I think that's part of the problem is it could come across as boastful. And I think about some of the tools you've used, Sandy, about how do you get people comfortable first asking for permission. Both daughters happen to be in the house today. And 
I said, one suggestion is we always start this conversation with your upbringing and was money talked about. And that's where it was really fun because they said, gosh, our mom did talk about money and still does to this day, and then models this amazing behavior around budgeting and saving and working hard. And that's what this family is. So that's where they're learning. Now, here's the other thing. She said, you know what always frustrated me? We never learned any of this in school. Don't get me started on that one. (laughs) I think there's great opportunities to obviously continue modeling it through these conversations and encouraging our education system to do some training. Do you think they're going to be motivated to have more money conversations based on the one you had with them earlier? I think so, Sandy. I think the idea that me asking that question breaks down some of those barriers, those taboo feelings, and I will have conversations with them. They're going to school for the careers they want to pursue, but also working to pay for that education. They're just amazing ladies, and I look forward to having more of those conversations with them. Thanks for sharing that, Cami. Absolutely. Well, perfect time for us to introduce our Money Tales guest today, who I believe is also a Gen Z-er. Cammy Jeremy is also a second-generation Money Tales guest. <laughs> he is, for those who remember that last name. Jeremy Savlov, welcome to the Money Tales podcast. Thanks, guys, for welcoming me. Yes, my dad, Jeff, was on here probably a couple months ago or so. We're glad to have you on, Jeremy. Could you open things up by introducing yourself and provide a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really impacted you and who you are today? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Jeremy, as you said. I just turned 24 recently, so I'm Gen Zer age. Basically, I grew up, I was raised by both my parents were therapists, both shrinks. <laughs> you can imagine what that was like growing up. It was a lot of talking about feelings and stuff that I didn't want to necessarily vocalized, but was very encouraged to do so. But as I grew up and found bits of independence, I chose the most (laughs) anti-feelings field of engineering. And it was the most logical thing I could think of. I went to Stevens. I graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering. I do engineering consulting work right now. But it's funny, at this point in my life, I'm really getting back in towards wanting to really be around people and work with people and get into that feeling side of things again. So it's funny how that came full circle. So I guess I have them to thank and still be annoyed at for that. (laughs) Both parents are shrinks. That's a quote. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We got a little insight, but for listeners today, how did your folks talk with you about money? So my parents were both pretty open with money since like a very young age. Things like getting an allowance, or putting in work to make money, that money doesn't just come from nowhere. You have to put in work and earn things. And that started from a pretty young age. They were always open with us about finances and how much they make. And that was something that most of my friends even didn't have discussions with their parents or their friends, anything like that. So we had a very open relationship regarding money throughout our whole lives. And I think that was pretty cool with them. Seriously talking, I mean, they would say, this is how much we make. Yeah, I knew from elementary school, like late elementary school, how much they would make a year. And I kept that to myself. That was a thing of respect, but also responsibility that I had not to brag about these things or disclose these things to other people. But it's also, we're a family and this is things that we can discuss between ourselves and how they can teach me things learned in their life. And I can get that information. 
So it's something to be proud to hold on to, but still keep secret for yourself. Like you were saying before, the whole boastful energy thing when it's coming to money conversations, you're afraid to bring that stuff up when talking with friends and stuff. But I did keep a lot of that to myself and within my family. Jeremy, use the word secret. And I want to dive into that a little bit more because this is something that we talk about with clients all the time. Was it a secret or was it private? And for you, do you think there's a difference? It's more not wanting to disclose, I guess, private information to other people in terms of not knowing how that will affect your relationships with them or what they think of you. That's another thing I wanted to mention. You know, when you guys welcomed me onto the podcast, I did some journaling and reflecting about money throughout my life. And a lot of things came up about how small interactions with friends and family and different people had a big impact when it came to money and disclosing things about money or finding out things from other people about money or they found about me and my family with money. So that's why I say secret or private because it's not necessarily your fault type of thing, but if people find things out, they may treat you differently or may expect things differently. Would you share one or two of those examples that came to mind as you were journaling just to bring some of these ideas further to life? Yeah. So I was raised, I would say we were upper middle class. We weren't super rich, but we had a nice house. We had a swimming pool. We had a nice yard. And the way I dressed and went to school, I wore shorts and a t-shirt every day, even throughout the winter. (laughs) My friends never thought much of it. Even throughout college, I never dressed super fancy. I didn't buy a lot of materialistic things. I didn't go after expensive things, things like that. A very simple lifestyle. And people, I guess, assumed things about how much I make or how much my parents make because of the way I dressed and acted like that. And most of the time when people would come over to my house, they would say, oh my God, this is such a nice house you have. Like, this is your house. Like, do you live here? This is your pool. Some people would treat me differently after they've been to my house or after they've seen my family and what we're like and before and after they knew the things that I had. So that's really interesting to me to see how people could change like in a snap of your fingers like that. And there's nothing I changed about myself throughout all that. It was all on there. How did that make you feel? In some ways, good, but in some ways, kind of frustrated. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to respect me now. You think I have possibly more money than you. So you're going to treat me better than if I didn't, or if you thought you had more money than me or my parents. That kind of disgusted me, to be honest. And some of them are still my friends today. And you know, I can't hold everything against anyone. You never know what kind of struggles they have with money or what's going on with them. But it was just a very eye-opening experience to see that interaction like that. What do you think that is? Just your opinion on why people treat someone different based on wealth. I think part of it is insecurity, for sure. If it ends up that they realize or think they may have less or are not quote unquote as rich as you. But that also depends on your values, each person's values. Like for me, like I said before, I don't value fancy clothes or fancy cars. I mean, they're nice and they're fun, but I spent a lot of my life and with my parents growing up focusing on what I truly value. And a lot of that comes down to quality time with family and exercising and good health and things like that, which is something that's not really directly related to money in that way. So when it comes down to it, 
it depends what each person's view was on money that's having that interaction with you. So Jeremy, you're growing up in a situation where your parents are having very open money conversations with you, focusing you on what's most important to you, what are your values, helping you hone in on that. You're experiencing your family's financial situation through the eyes of your friends who are coming over to your house as you're becoming better friends with them. How do you put all this together as you move through your adolescence and into college and start thinking about your own financially independent life from your parents? My goal was to have something at least similar to what they have in the end goal. It's pretty much that. I think they're more conservative with money in terms of saving. And my goal was to be a little more free and spending on things that I enjoy and I like and being a little impulsive from time to time and maybe buying some materialistic things that make me happy or something when I'm sad, like a nice jacket or something. I don't know. (laughs) I really liked the way that they approached money and things like that and, and have an end goal to save, but also do things that go along with my values in terms of fun or whatever else that I like and use money as a means to the end for that. Do you budget? Yes and no, probably not as well as I should. So I'm actually living at home right now, which makes it easier to not budget because I'm not spending much money at all. I'm really trying to save up to get my own place to buy because I'm very frustrated with the whole rental thing. I feel like it's very easy to just put all that money away. And while you can go from place to place and there's no owning of the building or replacing things, things like that. I really think I would like much rather spend that money and put it into something long-term that I can keep and own or sell or rent out or something like that. That's where I'm at right now. So budgeting is is more just saving as much as I can. (laughs) And how do you balance that, Jeremy, with what you were saying before about wanting to also spend and indulge a little bit? How do you make those decisions? I make those decisions pretty impulsively. It's more check the credit card bill at the end of the month. And if one month's too high, you just cut it back a little the next. And I will go out to eat from time to time or go to a concert. I've saved up for vacations because I consider, you know, if I'm spending less than I would on rent and I'm saving everything else, then I'm not losing anything. And I usually spend half what I would on rent or something like that. So I'm winning and I'm getting that money to spend on fun things as well. Do you and your friends have conversations about money? And if so, what do you talk about? It is not very frequent that I have conversations with my friends about money. I'm pretty open about it. As long as I can get a gist from the person that they will be open and respectful about the conversation, regardless if they make more or less, or what their background is with money and insecurity and all that. But most of my friends are very hesitant to talk about money. They have a lot of expenses and most of them are paying rent and struggling through a lot of things. But I don't really know much financially about what they go through and things like that. It's not as open as I'd be interested in hearing about their lives, but I'll drop a couple things here and there and ask them about it. But I don't want to push too far. At some point, it seems like they don't want to talk about these things. Feels private. Yeah. Does boastfulness come into it at all? Do you think that's a barrier to the conversation at all? From their side, I think it's not boastfulness. I think it's more possibly out of struggle or just privacy. 
So some of them are maybe barely making a buy because we're just out of school going through a lot of debt. You know, I speak to one of my friends closely about how much debt he's in and how he's working to pay that off. So that's one interesting thing to hear about. But I think some people just aren't used to having this open relationship with money and having conversations about these type of things in the open frequently. That's really cool about this relationship you have, this friend, you're being accountability partners. Would you share a little bit about how you go about having these important conversations with this friend? Sometimes I'll just ask him, how's that going? Like, are you paying it off? How many years you have? Because he's in the same boat. He's living at home with his parents. And as much as I love my parents and he loves his parents, can't stand it (laughs) to a certain extent. At least with me, I have a great relationship with them and um, they don't bother me. There's no curfews, anything like that. But it's there's just something about having your independence after you go to college. He's in that boat and he's with his parents and that's a struggle for him. But he's just telling me he's putting everything he can into it. I think he's more conservative even than I am, but he's just trying to pour everything he has into this and knock it down as much as he can and then get out of the house when it's back to ground zero, I guess. I encourage him to do that. Like It's good for you that you can make the decision not to pay rent or go get an apartment and take longer to pay off the loans that you have because it's all a given and take. Because I thought the same thing. Like I could be living in an apartment right now and spending money on that. And I had to balance a little bit of social life with financial planning. That was the end goal here. That was probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make in a very long time, at least around money, because socially, it's not amazing where I am at home. I don't live in a very popular area. It's kind of farmlands and nothingness. So I really appreciate what you're sharing, though, because you're highlighting that when it comes to money, and it's right in your face right now, there's trade-offs. Yeah. I think there's always trade-offs, and most people just don't spend time becoming aware of those trade-offs. I just want to highlight that for all of us. Whenever we spend a dollar or save a dollar, if we're spending, there's something we're not saving for. If we're saving, there's something we're not spending on. I kind of break it down into values and sacrifice. So you're going to have your values and one of them is going to be more important than the other. And it's going to have to sacrifice something else. So I sacrifice a little bit of my social life to value something kind of long-term down the road in hopes that I can get a house and regain everything long-term instead of splurge in my 20s and possibly struggle getting a mortgage or saving money when I'm older, possibly having kids or things like that. It's a very difficult thing to do, I would say as well, because I am always hard on myself all the time. Was this the right decision? Should I have just gone and gotten an apartment and been somewhere with more people my age? Because it's very hard to think ahead like that and try to do something for your future self when your current self is a little bored or frustrated. So my selves are always fighting themselves. (laughs) I'm glad you shared that too, because I think that's very common. And that's one of the benefits of talking about money. We can bring it out to the open more. Yeah. As a young adult, early on in your career, what other money things have come up for you beyond this give and take between living with mom and dad to save money for a home purchase versus renting and having a more freeing social life. One of the other interesting things I thought about is how money interacts with smaller transactions with friends and more, I guess, romantic relationships or like dating. 
they're two separate things, but putting them together for a second, just how I came up with them. But I'll have different interactions with different friends about small things like who's paying the bill, are there expectations for who's paying the bill based on what do they know about how much you make or anything like that. And that's the big one for me. I've run into a lot of instances where people have made comments or expected things from me because they think or know I make more money than them, or they've seen the house that I live in, or they feel like they deserve it for me because they might have less than me type of thing. So that's one side with the friends. If you want to start with that, and we can get to the dating part later. Oh, no, no, no. Let's get to the dating part now. We'll come back to the friends. I'm so curious. So the thing with dating, I think for me, it's not like this with all the people I've been on dates with, but I feel like there is an overall expectation that the guy should pay on the first date. I don't know how it is for people, but that's in my experience with my friends and my friend group and people my age. That's a pretty big thing that the guy should always pay for the dates. And from girls, it's like, if the guy's not paying, I'm not interested. So that money interaction right there has a big tell over the personality of the person or how fun they are or whatever you're doing. Oh, can we split it? Could possibly ruin the date or give the weird impression. And I found that pretty interesting. When it's the first date, it's a pretty mixed bag for me because sometimes I don't know whether I want to offer to pay or what I want to say, let's split it and see if she'll say, yeah, let's split it or no, I'm not touching that. It could really vary. It could really impact the outcome of what happens. I always think that's pretty interesting. It is really interesting. I'm glad you brought this up because there's so many underlying things. Is it tradition in a male-female relationship? Is the female going to the hairdresser more and spending more on clothes? And so the man is expected to spend more on the food. That's curious. I think having conversations about this is really good. Yeah. And I wish I heard more from like the other side about what women think on this. If I talk to my mom, that's one thing, but have you gone there with any of your dates? No, I don't I don't really get into that conversation. But I guess it's something interesting that would come up at a certain point. But I don't know. I don't know if that's first date material. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, I always wonder how to play it, if that makes sense. It could go either way. And I personally like people or like a date that would be willing to split it and as equal in that way. But it really depends on the person and how you feel and how they feel. But I I don't like that that interaction could have such a big impact if it doesn't go exactly the right way sometimes. I wonder if, just like I was saying with my opening commentary, just by having that initial conversation, it softens things. It takes that elephant out of the room or whatever it might be. And I wonder if by having the conversation with the person does it just make it now we get to decide together and you can learn from their perspective and they learn from yours? That or you find out that they should end early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes that's good information to have. It's a win-win, right? (laughs) That's right. You're you're getting some important answers. Like, all right, I need what I need. I'm going to get out of here. How do you handle this in situations with your friends? You're going out with one or two other people, the bill comes. That's an easier time to have a back and forth. With friends, usually you know them better. You have a better relationship. So it's easier to talk about. Think about dating. You're having this conversation with a complete stranger. You have no idea what their background is. So when you're doing it with friends, I feel more comfortable saying something. I think that's the only difference. 
if they're having expectations that, guys, why is nobody offered to pay? Why are you all looking at me? Why am I putting my card down every single time? I'll start losing it a little bit because it's like, it's kind of ridiculous. And I've had people just not pay me back or have pay me back and say, oh, here, you can put this money towards something else that would like benefit them. And I'm so shocked by some of these instances and not all of them would continue to be my friends because of that. But I have some good friends that were always willing to just foot the bill because we know it's going to even out in the end. There's a few different categories. There's a, you know what, they're a good friend. Someone's footing the bill and it's all going to even out the end. There's the friends who are like, well, I want the exact change every time. And that's fair, but it's down to the, the exact cent every single time. And we have to split it like we split it. And there's some people who just don't pay you back because of the expectations that, you know, you'll cover me or I'm just not going to offer and I'm not going to pay anything. And I've had a couple conversations where I follow up with people like a week, two weeks, two months after the dinner we went out to. And I keep asking them, listen, like I need you to pay me my money. And it comes off. I don't know if other people might be afraid to do this because it does feel uncomfortable for me, but I'm glad I did it anyway. But I keep following up with them and saying, where's my money? I'm in the mob or something. Like, Where's my money? <laughs> it's ridiculous, but you have to say it because it's not right. And I don't think it's fair for someone to just assume you're going to pay for them and have the balls to not even think about paying you back or giving you an excuse why it's taken two months with no talking exchange between and why it's taken so long. So those are some really difficult situations you got to work with, but you just have to deal with them. It sounds like if you have that familiarity and that relationship with the person, then you feel more comfortable having that open conversation, even though it's uncomfortable. But when we go back to the dating scenario, fresh and new, there might be some hopes for taking it beyond the date. So the calculus has changed a bit. Yeah, it's uh, the calculus has changed. (laughs) I think though, with the friends, the friends that know me less or have a more surface level understanding of me, usually when it comes down to money or their understanding of what I make, and I don't really tell people at all what I make. However, they think usually that I do make more than them or something. And those surface level friendships that I have are the ones that I really don't mind standing up to, even though I don't know them that well. I'll set the boundary right away with that. But like you said, on a date, it's a little different with the calculus. And it's a little more difficult to stand up to someone like that, even though it's the same situation, really. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's interesting to me. It's been a long time since I thought about dating, but it sounds like not much has changed in the last 25 years. That's funny. So it is pretty similar, I guess. What about your career? As you got into the professional world and where you are today, how'd you go about getting a conversation? I did have the conversation to ask for more. I think it's always a good thing to ask for more. It's really what you value yourself at. They can't value everyone the same and it always be the same. I think you got to push, even when it's a good deal, you got to push for more if you think you deserve more. The answer was no, but I like the balance of the job, the work-life balance and the people and the environment. So I just went about taking the job anyway. But when it comes to getting a raise and stuff, I've only been at the company a year and a half. So my first actual money conversation with my boss would be coming up next year. And that's something I've been, I guess, a little bit nervous before. I've never had to really get into that in depth at a corporate level 
with a manager and things like that. But I'm always thinking about how to approach that and what's the best way to go about it. Well, I appreciate you asked for more, even if the answer was no in the beginning with this new job. I don't know if everybody does that. And so I'm glad you raised it because it's a great time to ask for more. Yeah. <laughs> the answer could be yes. And if you don't ask, the answer is no. <laughs> the one thing is, and a couple of my friends had this experience. So I went to Stevens and I had a cooperative work experience program where I do it a couple semesters and then six months of real work experience with a company out in the world and then back to school and I transfer back and forth. When we were applying for those kind of internship or smaller work experiences, there were a few times where asking for more caused them to rescind their offers. So I ran into that a couple of times with different employers. And that was something that deterred me. It's like, is that something we should really not ask? But in the end, it's, do you want someone who's going to throw you away because you are trying to value yourself a little bit more? No, you want someone who's going to say no and still want to because they wanted you the whole time. So not to change your mind based off one little question. It's kind of like dating all over again. I'm like, <laughs> why did they rescind their offer? That's funny. Money conversations with asking, you're valuing yourself for salary. I think that's probably the most difficult thing I've had to run into yet. But there's times in the past that I've asked for raises and got them or asked for a higher starting salary. Like I, I pretty much always think to do that. I think it can't hurt, especially if you're doing a good job, which I always try to do my best. What's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? So I just finished a book. It's called The Lifestyle Investor by Justin Donald. It's basically, he's someone who really set his values and wanted to base his life around those values first. Values first, time first, you know, family first. And was able to invest in a way to give himself enough passive income to sustain his lifestyle and support those values without necessarily needing to work. And he still can do what he wants. He can work where he wants. But I just finished a book by him. And I was actually hoping to reach out to him and see if I could have a conversation with him about that and get a little more into that because you know that's the dream for me, right? If I can put my values first and focus everything on that and not need to work to support the values, I could just have my values and then the money's already there to support that. So that would be pretty ideal. <laughs> Jeremy, that's so cool. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for the recommendation. I appreciate the emphasis on knowing your values. That's really, really important. Really appreciate you joining us today and say hi to your dad. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> and honestly, thanks so much for joining us on Money Tales. You had a lot to share and we really appreciated it. Absolutely. I had a good time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.